Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Good morning again. We're going to be back over in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and... uh, well, we'll read it in just a few moments. A couple of things I'm going to to go back and, and to restate just for context. Uh, some of you may not have been here last week, and I want to give you the, the context and, uh, and then also some other takeaways that lead themselves to some of this new material that we're going to work, going to work through today. But remember, the first three chapters of Ephesians have to do with the the foundations of our faith, all of the blessings and the resources that we have in Christ through the through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's it's what we have as far as spiritual blessing go. Verse uh, chapters 4, 5 and 6 primarily deal with how those blessings are lived and loved out. Uh, and so they become very, very practical. And there's no greater way to see the evidence of the grace of God lived out than through our earthly relationships. That's how you know who and what you really are by how you relate to other people. Not what you believe, but what that belief actually accomplishes uh, in, in our lives. Now, as we are walking with Paul through this, we keep seeing that Paul is, he keeps drilling down closer and closer to the unique self. He's already talked about at the beginning of chapter four, how we are to engage relationally with the world, with the grace of God. He's talked about how we are to uh, relate with those who have already said yes to Jesus. He has talked about even more specific, those that we worship with, what that relationship is going to look like in the local church. And how it is, uh, he, he ends in chapter 5, verse 21, in this, this call to submit to one another. Uh, and it's a, it's a very, very important, important shift as Paul moves us from just relating to actually placing ourselves under the authority of each other. And it's very important and it's very misunderstood. So what Paul pretty much has already told us here is that horizontal submission with one another comes as a direct result of vertical submission to God. And so I, the only people that I can submit to in this world apart from vert, vertical submission are people that I agree with about everything. People that are just like me, that think just like me. And so if we're not very careful, the only people that we start to relate to are the people that we never have any tension with or the people that we already agree with. But that's not the way of the kingdom. The kingdom should not be a group of people who agree about every little thing. That's like a social club. But what the church is to be is out of my direct submission to the authority of God, I make conscious choices to place myself under each one's authority. And I recognize the work of God in and through brothers and sisters that can help complete the picture that I can't bring all on my own. 
And so I need you, and you need me, and you need each other. And if we only surround ourselves with people who are, and I don't know if you work with wood or whatever, but if you want to take off a lot of material, you use a pretty low-grit sandpaper. You know, you move from a saw to sandpaper, and eventually when you buff something, there's very little friction, but it polishes it. And so, you know, if I'm only around buffers in my life, I've probably gotten as smooth as I'm going to get. Now, I'm not saying that we should pray for a lot of friction in our life. Of course, we wouldn't. But as God is bringing in new people and new Christians, and and we are all from different walks of life and different understandings, I believe that when we place ourselves under each other's authority, we can all see more of the glory of God revealed as we, like a marriage, become one flesh the body of Christ. So when Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 5, verse 21, that we should submit to one another, this is the idea that he's referring to, this one flesh idea. And the best example of submitting to one another is in a marriage relationship. That's where it is most clear and most, most natural, although I'm not sure it's altogether natural. So the picture that God is painting is the mystery in marriage is the mystery of Christ and his church. The marriage does not exist for itself. Marriage exists for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's, it's his story that we tell through that relationship. And so with that, because we are the church and Paul is writing to the church, he begins with the wife in the uh, picture. Now, in this domestic code that Paul is beginning here, there were, every culture had their own domestic code. What I mean by that is the way the family and the uh, individual person is to relate to the world around them. And Paul, and I won't go into it because it's not really that important to the message, but Paul really, everything around Paul at that day, Paul actually goes in reverse order, couldn't be more opposite. Uh, in in these in this code that he gives us uh, that we're going to continue today. So just remember, the wife here is not commanded because we as the church, and the wife is the church in the marriage relationship, she's not called to do anything that we're not all called to do, except in her particular as the wife, just to her own husband, just like the church is to submit to her own groom, Jesus Christ. So wives, submit to your own husbands with the reverence that Christ submit, or that the church submits to God. Husbands, love your wives with the same love that God loves us with. Sacrificial, unconditional, selfless. I taught on this all last week. Uh, just not exactly like this. This is still catch up. But this is a wonderful example then of the purpose and the meaning behind the church. Of Christians submitting and loving each other in harmony with God. Now, I know it's easy for us to look at the pattern and say, oh, that's a really pretty picture. But I want you to look at your relationship. Actually, look at your marriage. That's how you know if the vertical relationship is right, is you can look at that horizontal relationship in your marriage. Wife, are you 
Submitting to your husband as unto the Lord. Husbands, are are you loving your wife with the unconditional, sacrificial love of Christ? That's the point. And when we come together, we become the bride of Christ and give him unconditional respect and submission under his spiritual authority together. So there's a good example, I think, that Paul is actually doing. This is not a new teaching that Paul begins in verse 22. Paul's not shifting gears. I don't want to say Paul's distracted because I know that Paul is writing under the authority of the Holy Spirit. But Paul hits, verse 21, submit to one another. Uh, You know, like wives submit to their husbands. And, And husbands, love your wives. And then he begins to give illustrations in that. And then he gets to verse 32 and 33 of chapter 5 when he says, however, or so then, or nevertheless, or in English he would say, and this is beautiful, I said that to say this. So because these things are true, here is why I said it. Wives, respect your husbands. That word respect means revere the authority of. And husbands, love your wives sacrificially. So what we find is that the purpose of our marriage is to bring glory and honor to God. And the purpose of our church is to bring glory and honor to God. To God. Because just like your marriage is an example to other marriages, our marriage to Christ is an example to the world around us. You see, we don't exist just to come in here to feel good or to remind ourselves of promises. We come in here together to learn how to love better so that we'll know how to serve better, so that we can create a holy curiosity in the world around us who are still living like mortals. They're desperate to know how to make a marriage work. Desperate to know how to make a family work. What is the purpose? And if we don't know what the purpose is, we'll make it about us. And that's why so many marriages struggle is because the marriage exists for itself. Has no purpose, no meaning, just trying to make do. So Paul talks about the three primary relationships that occurred in most Ephesian homes. Husbands, wives, parents, children, servants, masters. So I'm going to start reading again and we're going to read through it and get into about the middle of Ephesians 6. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He's being very clear, husbands, of your spiritual responsibility in the home. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. 
Who he loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. You leave the things that got you here and you cleave unto your husband, unto your wife, and as a church, holding nothing back but cleaving unto Jesus. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that the mystery is marriage, and the marriage refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, remember that this is a letter, not a book. So when you get to verses and chapters, it makes it easy for me to say chapter 6, verse 1, and we all know where to start. But there shouldn't be a break right here. Paul's not saying something new. He is continuing with the same submissive uh, talk about the importance of that. So, husbands, wives, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear. Again, there it is. That same word is reverence. Every relationship has this reverence about it, this respect, this awe, this, this heft. And so earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. He's talking, he's talking to those of you who do an ex excellent job and never get thank you who works so hard, and sometimes it's tempting when you don't get appreciation at work that you either stop with excellent service, or you start doing things only to be seen and recognized and patted on the back. And what Paul is saying is knock that stuff off because God always looks, and, and your boss can only reward you so much if he sees it. The reward comes from the Lord, and he's watching you when no one else sees. Verse 9, Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. Meaning, he, when he looks, he doesn't see masters and servants. He sees faithfulness. So there's very clear application in these verses, but I do want to, to make note of just a few things. So verse 21, back of 5, we're talking about the culmination of moving from horizontal to vertical. Chapter 5 actually begins by the command to imitate, to be imitators of God as dear children. He begins to work through the process of how and what that looks like in every relationship, how to navigate the world, how to navigate time, how to walk carefully and cautiously and wisely, how to navigate every primary relationship in life with other believers as Christ. 
And then he gets down to the church and he says that we should speak to one another in hymns and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's in verse 19. And then he says, and the, and the word there is speaking. It's not necessarily singing. So even when we're communicating with each other, we should be communicating in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We should be communicating about God to each other. We should be praying together. Our, our conversation should give clear focus and glory to God. That what he's saying is here in very layman's terms is to be polished to one another. Be encouragers to one another. Make sure that you're turning each other's head to see what God is doing in any one moment. Encourage each other to stay faithful and true. Encourage each other to look to the Lord and to listen to him. This is incredibly important, and I'm afraid, so afraid that we're missing it as a church, and I'm talking about culturally. But notice this making melody when all of our... I can't make melody. I, it's, that's plural. I need m multiple voices to do that. So as I am making melody, I am going to to one another, right? That's what he's saying, to one another. But then he says, to the Lord. So this conversation that we're having is a three-way conversation. It's to the glory of God, but it's actually lived out among one another. But this is, well, the, I guess the second, but it's a continuation of a pattern that you don't see until you see the second one. If you go back up to chapter, eight, chapter 5, verse 8, he's talking about how to relate to the dark world. To the people that are not like us, who think differently than us. And he says there, in the Lord, in verse 8. The light. In the Lord. Verse 19, we just saw it. To the church, making melody. To the Lord. Verse 20, that that should give birth to thanks. And hearts of thanksgiving in the Lord. There's this pattern of as the church submits in verse 21. Out of reverence to the Lord. Wives submit as to the Lord. Husbands love as Christ. Children obey in the Lord. Do you see the spiritual component in every relationship? Fathers, train in this training and admonition, what is it? Of the Lord. Servants, do work as you would to Christ. Doing the will of God, not to man. Masters, do the same to the Lord. It becomes very, very clear that the relationships that we have here have a very spiritual component to them. Your relationships don't exist for your pleasure or your whim. I mean, if they're right, they can. If they're not, they probably won't. They'll be like most relationships on a roller coaster emotionally. But that's not, that's not what chapters 1, 2, and 3 exist for. And all, and the difference is the perception of the blessing and the allowance, allow those blessings to affect our daily life. And as I told you on day one, the point is identity, remembering who we are and why these relationships exist. 
So it becomes very clear that earthly, earthly relationships that God brings in and out of our life actually demonstrate our submission to Christ. But I want you, I want you just to think for a moment about your relationships. And you may be sitting here saying, but I'm not married and I don't have kids. And I'm, Okay, cut through all that. These are examples. Think about the relationships. Are you intent? Are you intention everywhere you go? I mean, are you a, everybody in your life is a problem and nobody gets it but you? Are there very few people that you don't have a problem with? Listen, we need to wake up. This, is, this couldn't possibly be everybody else in the world's problem. Sometimes we have to look inside and say, you know what? Regardless of what I think about this relationship, these relationships is the mirror. And it's all got to do with submission. The one thing we do not want in our fierce, independent, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Well, you know what? Then just keep riding the roller coaster. He, he commands the church to live in harmony. And the reason that he has to command it is that's not natural for a church to live in harmony. You know how I know it? Because you have to name your church to tell people that you're peace or that you're united or that whatever. You got to tell people that you are. You might need to think about that. There's a joke. I don't really want to tell it because I don't want to make people upset. But you can always tell when a church comes out of another church. <clears throat> and and I, I, I would tell it. I just did. But I, I know of a church that split, could not find unity on anything and everybody else was the problem. Half the church left. <laughs> up on the hill, there's a, there's a, the church, the original church is down in the valley. Up on the hill, the other folks bought property up there, built a church. And they named it God's Church. Isn't that Ephesians 5? That's what they should have called it. Wives respecting their husbands. Listen, I'm going to get a little bit preachery here. Sometimes I'm Bible teachery. Today I'm going to be a little preachery. Wives submitting to their husbands obviously doesn't come naturally because it's a command. If it came naturally, I don't think, I think he would say, hey, you know, it doesn't. It comes with a command. And let me tell you, ladies, don't get too upset. Loving unconditionally doesn't come naturally to men it's hard this is why as unto the lord has to be added in every circumstance because in order to be able to have harmony with one another and place ourselves under the spiritual authority of one another we have to have the blessings of jesus christ and the power of the spirit for wives to be able to respect their husbands unconditionally it's that's got to be the spirit amen for, wife, for husbands to love their wife as Christ loved the church, man, that's got to be a spiritual moment. And we all know we were one and have some. Children obeying their parents, not natural. That's why it's a command. So the, the, Paul gives four reasons why children should obey. One, because they themselves are in the Lord. Now, this is for Christian kids. Children, in the Lord, better obey your parents. 
because you are Christ followers and you are a brother or a sister to your mother or father. That sounds like I'm from Eastern Kentucky right now. Uh, it's... You know, when you claim Christ, you don't, I mean, you don't get grandfathered in. Well, I'm just a kid. I'm still learning. No, you know what? You're, you are a child of God now. This is what it looks like to be a child of God. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And it is right to obey your parents, especially when your parents love and respect supernaturally. Parents, if you're not loving and respecting your spouse, but you expect your children to follow your advice, you're a hypocrite. That's why, they, that's why they want to rebel against you. They hear you say one thing, they see you treat her or hear you how you talk to him, one out of your mouth, and then you want to tell them to do what is right because you said so with your authority. You don't have any authority. You cashed it out on your marriage. I act like I know what I'm talking about. I'm figuring it out too. I'm figuring it out. I'm just trying to obey the scripture and I need your help. So they're in the Lord. The Lord expects them to do what is right as he does all of us. He says that it's a command from God. This goes back to several commands, actually. We could talk about, I guess, the Ten Commandments, honor your mother and father. But I I don't know that that's exactly the one he's talking about. There's another passage in the book of Leviticus that says that if if your children children, uh, mock you, Uh, If they make fun of you or they don't listen and you've had enough of it, you can go out to the city gate and tell the elders and bring them out there and stone them and kill them. Children, obey your parents that you may live long in the land. You laugh. Some people are like, I don't think Jesus did away with the law. I think the law is a good thing. The second one I think that probably more appropriately that he's referring to is generationally speaking. I don't think he's promising individual kids that they're not going to die. I think what he is saying is that you will inhabit the land as the children of God for generations if you can get the family connected and you can do that right under the authority of God, you will live long in the land. But they didn't. They didn't treat their wives with unconditional love. They loved themselves and they did what was right in their own eyes. And the wives didn't respect their husbands, and the kids didn't obey their parents, and so they kept having to go into captivity, just like we do. But it doesn't have to be the case. Children obey your parents implies that the parents have a plan, that the parents know what the child is to be, to produce, to do. And if you don't know what, I'm not talking about career, that's secondary, I'm talking about character. If you don't have a plan to evoke that character, if you don't know how to feed your kids spiritual nutrition, and you're not giving them those opportunities to develop character, the the assumption is that parents have a plan and a hope for their children and guiding them to that fruition. And again, you can't do that just because you're good parents. That's going to require tapping into the Holy Spirit of God in order to be able to do that. This doesn't come naturally. It's not available naturally. Second assumption is, is that there are going to be rules and boundaries in 
raising your children. Now, in non-Christian homes, and sadly in many Christian ones, there, there are no plans and there are no rules. It's just, it's just do your best until they're not your responsibility anymore. But, but Christian homes aren't supposed to look like that. That's, that's not the design, and that's what Paul is trying to get across right here. Christian homes is where we can see what it looks like to submit to the Father and to thrive under His direction. When the world sees the church, they should say, man, I wish I had that in my life. We're under, under His direction, we train our children to serve and honor Him. Listen, we cannot detach this relationship from the spiritual relationship. It can't be detached. Otherwise, we just start going through the motions and we lose the purpose and the meaning of it. What what I mean by that is don't reduce your parental responsibilities to just this world and setting them up for the best. That's not the reason it exists. It's a byproduct so that the world can see what a Christian home looks like. The point of marriage is to reveal God's glory. The point of family is to reveal God's glory. And when we make it about ourselves, we do exactly what Adam and Eve did. Listen, your parents especially here, if you're not parents, I want you to listen to me too. Uh, if, if perhaps parent, uh, children are in your future, Your goal in parenting is not to provide experiences for your children. And you don't have to listen to me. You can listen to every parent who learned the hard way that they wish. There's not a parent alive that doesn't wish they could pour more character into their kids, even if it came at a cost of experiences. Your goal is the training and the admonition of God. Not a full calendar, not every sport, not every opportunity, not cool kid popular club. Jesus, that's your goal as a parent, to impress Jesus upon your children. There's lots of tools to do it. The tools are not the goal. Your goal isn't to expose your children to the greatest opportunities. Your goal is to expose them to the character of Jesus Christ. And how how can I do that? You You should be that. Your goal is, and I hear people say this all the time, and I know what they mean. I really do. Just want to give my kids better than I had when I was. There's no better than Jesus. Your goal isn't to give your kids better than you had. That's a, that's a lie straight out of the pit of the hell. And, I, and I'm telling you, it's costing us families. And as we've seen, the very fact that Paul is having to command this and to teach this tells me that that does not come naturally for fathers to be the responsible ones for the direction of their children. We are glad to check that box off and hand that off to mom. You know what mom says when she's fully exasperated at the end of the day? Just wait till you're, what is it? Yeah, and dad comes home and drops the hammer. But it's not because he knows. It's because you made your mom mad. Now I'm going to make you mad. <laughs> Too bad, so sad, you're dad. Hey, I grew up on that. I did not even make that up. I grew up on that. 
This is not the way it's supposed to be. We're quickly watching family values decline, spin out of control, because a lot of mothers and fathers make life about them or their children. And they operate from a very selfish stance. And then when it comes time to direct or to guide, they feel hypocritical because they've lost their voice to be able to speak the oracles of God. So, you know, the church's relationship to each other is so important to be able to notice these things and to remind each other of why your marriage works and the purpose of your marriage and the purpose of your parenting. It's like we should have backup singers to every relationship in this world because I'm going to forget those things sometimes. When I, get, when I don't get my way and I just tend to be a little bit selfish, I need godly men to say, hey, wake up. What are you doing? Complain about that. You straighten up. You need a man of peace. You need to, you need to grow up and quit acting like that. But I need, I need women maybe to say the same thing to my wife sometimes <clears throat> about me. Oh, no, no. About, I don't know what you were thinking I was trying to say there, but about me. I mean, you know. No, marriages need marriages. Singles need singles. Singles need marriages. Marriages need singles. We all need each other to bring Christ out of each other. There's no one sitting in this room that has a lock on that. Christians producing holiness because of the blessings of life and and, and that holiness produces godly marriages and that makes for holy correction and training in families and that makes for holy children and that makes for holy examples to the lost dark world that he's called us to serve. Just like a believer, in following Christ, all of us have made mistakes. I I will say amen to that. We often rebel against spiritual authority. Children are going to do that too. Just like we do to God, they're going to rebel against parental authority. A husband without the Spirit, I promise you, will rebel against loving unconditionally. A wife without the Spirit will rebel against respect. Parents, without the Spirit, will rebel against having a plan and bringing Christ in and out of their children. So husbands represent Christ, the wife represents the church, and the children represent the fruit of the Spirit in culmination. That reveals the life of our faith. And so none of these expectations and none of these commands come naturally for us. It doesn't come naturally for children to obey, for fathers to train gently. Fathers are really good at, because I said so. Fathers, don't exasperate your children to wrath. Be gentle. Just like your father is gentle with you. The thing that Paul is saying is, You know the responsibilities, and you know your failures. Now, just remember, you have all these blessings in Christ in order to be able to do that. Listen, I know some of you may be sitting there saying, boy, I wish that I had some time to redo this. Redeem the time. He already told us that. Redeem the time. And what I would say is, if you you hear something today, and and you're saying, in the Spirit, boy, I wish that I had 
Start where you are. But it's not failure unless you stop. Start where you are. So Paul moves from family to daily relationships, and he uses the term masters and uh, servants, but the more appropriate for our context would be employers, employees. You're not talking about slavery. These people would have been paid, and they choose to work under contract or whatever the case may have been. So Paul is reminding them as Christians that their work is a testimony of their vertical relationship. Their work, what they do, is a testimony of where they are tapped in to the Father. Work. And, and also, it's a, it's a one, your work is a testimony of God's work in your life. And your character, not just the finished product, your character, your development, your ability to be under the authority of a boss or I want my boss's job and my boss don't have any right to tell me what to do or he thinks he's... That's not Christ. You need to get another job. If you can't work there and bring peace, but I, I just about bet every employer you find will have a problem with their ability to lead. Work is worship. Think about that. And some of you might need to write that down. I do. Work is worship. It's just as much worship as when you lift your hands singing a worship song getting up on Monday morning and going with the right frame of mind and being the right kind of light, just as important as what we do in here when we sing our songs. In fact, it's proof of it. He shifts gears. To employers, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this into Blaine. Employers, you ain't the boss. You ain't the boss. Don't threaten and belittle and exert your dominance on anybody. And anybody that thinks they are, you need to remember, I don't see bosses or servants. So when you are in Christ, the boss and the workers are exactly the same in the eyes of Jesus Christ. All you do is for him. God doesn't see earthly authority. So this gives us the freedom to submit to one another. And that works both ways. I know it's hard to submit to someone that doesn't submit back. You're not responsible for their side of the submission. You're only responsible for yours. That's the beauty of this. Let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish. And uh, I am going to read this. I, I'm going to do a series on this sometime soon. So I'm going to begin reading in verse and I'm just going to make our way through it. When we're done, we're, we're, we're going to be done. But he says this, when you start trying to live in the grace of God, and I'm going to close with this, when you get, start to live in the, in the grace of God, you better know when it comes to marriage, when it comes to family, when it comes to children, when it comes to work, when it comes to church, when it comes to every relationship that matters, you're going to be under assault. You just need to know it. You know, putting Jesus first doesn't mean you're not going to have to walk uphill. It's tough. It's really tough. That's why your faith begins to grow and the tensions begin to come. That's how you know that you're more and more like Jesus. If you think you can become like Jesus without a cross, you're crazy. It doesn't work. 
But there's always a resurrection. So listen to what he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Because I know every family is listening to this today and going, I give up. What in the world? I give up. I'm exhausted. No, no, no. Be strong in the Lord. There it is again. In the strength of his might. It's not even your own strength. If you'll just say yes, he'll give you the strength. His strength. So we talked of first three chapters is the root. The, this is really corny, but I want to wake you up. You get the root. The second three chapters, four, five, and six, is the fruit. The end of chapter six is the suit. I just made that up. But I think it's pretty clever. I want to write it down. Put on the whole armor of God. Who's, whose armor is it? You know, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Whose fruit is it? Man, all you got to do is say yes. All you got to do is be intentional about it. Put on the whole armor of God. He gives you his strength. He gives you his suit. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Because they are coming. He is on attack. He is going to try to destroy you. And the number one way he's going to try to destroy you is to undermine the grace of God. And there's no greater way to undermine the grace of God than to attack your relationships with people. Now, when you start battling with people, that boss, that woman, that man, those kids, those parents, that boss, those workers... You need to remember something before you go to war with people. Look at verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. If you make the battle a physical one, you've already lost. Your problem's not with your spouse. Your problem's not with your kids. Your problem's not with your boss. Your problem's not with your church. Your problem's inside of you because you're not withstanding the schemes of the devil. If everywhere you go, there's criticism and complain and grumbling, you're the problem. It can't possibly be everybody else in relationship with you. You're falling for, and I'm not angry, you're falling for the schemes of the devil. You're under attack and you don't know it. There's a way out. There's a better way. We're at war with Satan. And if we don't know who we are, we won't know who he is, and we'll fight the wrong fight every time. And we'll keep asking other people to fight the wrong fight with us. That's where disharmony comes in here. And if the church is not in harmony, the marriages won't be in harmony. If the marriages aren't in harmony, the parents won't be in harmony. If the parents aren't in harmony, you're going to be, I promise you, when you're at work, that's what you're thinking about. You won't be doing a good job, and nothing belongs to the Lord. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That evil day is every day of attack. And having done all to stand firm, therefore, everything is cinched together with the belt of truth, with truth itself. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, guard your heart above all else for out of it flows the issues of life. You better make sure you have righteousness over your heart. On your shoes, you better bind on your feet readiness. 
That means the act, the word actually means the act of preparing, always prepared to speak the good word, the gospel of peace, peace in the world, peace at church, peace in the home, peace at work, everywhere we go. And you have to prepare for the readiness of that. When I go, I'm preparing for how am I going to be bringing the good word of peace into this moment. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. That's the only defensive weapon when you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, not just yours. You might take that shield of faith and you might protect other people with your faith. That's awesome to be able to give away a faithful word to someone that might encourage their fight in against the schemes of the devil. Oh, listen, and if there's one thing that Satan wants to do is to rob you of the joy of his salvation in your life. So you better put that helmet of salvation on and you need to remind yourself of who you are in Jesus Christ. It is so primary. Don't, don't allow him to attack how you think. And the only offensive weapon we have is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the same weapon Jesus used against the schemes of the devil in the wilderness. He gives it to us. There's one part of the body that's not covered, and that's from the knee to the foot. And you know why it's not covered? It doesn't need to be. Because praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And then he says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I'm not just praying for my family, my work, my kids. I want to labor over yours. And I want to know that you're praying over mine because we need each other. If we've never recognized it before, we've got to know it now. One of the greatest ways to fight is right here. With his armor, with his spirit, with his might, with all of his blessings, all we have to do is intentionally say, I want to do it your way, Lord. Help me where I failed. Help me to walk circumspectly. Help me to redeem the time for the days of evil, Lord. Help me to walk circumspectly in this world of darkness. I look around and I see all these lost people. Some of them are broke and they know it. Some of them are broke and they don't. But I pray they get a glimpse of your life through mine. Your love through my relationships. Through my words. Through my ability to bring peace into their life. I pray that you would use my mouth, Lord, as an instrument. You'd use my hands as a tool in yours. I pray that you would send me where you want me to go. Open the doors you want me to walk through. And I pray for every marriage in this place. Lord, I pray that we would take our supernatural stand. I pray that we'd cover ourselves in your blessing and your favor. We remember who we are and who we're fighting for, who we're fighting against. And may we be known by the peace that pervades our heart. May we be known by the love that we have for one another. I pray that we would encourage each other with our words, with our songs, with our heart. I pray that we make melody, Lord, together as we give it to you. It's all for you. I pray that we would repent where we have failed. I pray that we would be bold enough to have meaningful enough conversations to be able to challenge each other in Christ. Lord, help us to be one flesh with each other and one flesh with you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for what you are going to do 
as we now reveal grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.